Okay, right on time, I think. A bit earlier today, <laughs> I've got uh, got some friends visiting. It's 4.30 here in the afternoon, which I think makes it, is that 8.30 in the UK? Maybe 7.30, I don't know, it's morning. Uh, so I wanted to jump into it, do this, so I can go and drink beer in the hot tub. <laughs> that is literally my plan for the rest of the afternoon. Now, um... First things first, I've put a couple of comments here in the in the chat uh, about me mucking around with audio. Now, I'm going to pause for several seconds, other than taking my sip of coffee, and just see if you can hear any whirring or fluttering, as people have described it, in the background. I think we're good. <laughs> Part of the reason I think we're good other than the fact I actually tested it, is when I look at the levels in OBS here, when I stop talking, they go to zero. Kind of. <laughs> Almost. This is still a work in progress. I'll be mucking around with the high-pass filter on the mic just here, uh, using another audio filter in OBS. As I said in the, in the uh, chat here, I'm very tempted to throw money <laughs> at a Rodecaster Pro 2 because it looks like a really sweet device. And uh, I think I could do a lot of processing within that DAC before it even hits the PC just to try and clean stuff up because I'm still just not entirely sure what the issue is. And I was about to get to the point of like trying to decouple the UPS and unplug stuff from all over the place in a vain attempt to figure out what the issue is. That doesn't really fix my problem. <laughs> I need the UPS. <laughs> anyway, let me jump into it because I've got a lot of stuff today. So first things first is sponsor, as always, ePass by DTAC. No ePass protected password has ever been cracked. Bold claim. And won't be found in any leaks. Now, of course, this is because they're obviously very, very strong passwords. Now, this is certainly, uh, certainly not beyond the realm of physics. Give it a try. Millions of users use it. Now, uh, DTAC is a sponsor that I have had on many occasions uh, in the past. Enterprise Password Analysis, the only solution in the world to provide an insight on enterprise password security. Geez, passwords are still in the news <laughs> every day. We'll talk a little bit about breaches that might have contained some passwords today. Uh, EPAS is a patented solution developed by DTAC GMBH and its Swiss partner. So go and check out DTAC. Big thanks to uh, those folks and EPAS for their ongoing support of me. Thanks very much, guys. Okay, boy, oh boy, where do we start now? What are sales going to talk about? Everything's going off. Uh, let me talk about something non-breach related, but is HIBP related, which I've sort of snuck in there. Now, when I say snuck in there, I'm talking about it. But I was going to do a blog post. I thought, no, I'll just do this kind of quietly. And we'll just, just see how it goes. Uh, I'm going to write about this later on because I'm going to tie it into some other stuff that I won't talk about yet today. Some new features coming into Have I Been Pwned? And in particular, into the API. Now, uh, one of the, the, the things that I had been struggling a little bit with is three years ago, just over three years ago, August 2019, I implemented the... API that required a credit card in order to get a key and I did this to stop the abuse and it worked really really well because hackers really don't like giving out their credit card details <laughs> and if they steal someone else's normally fraud detection picks that up and it gets uh, it gets revoked pretty quickly implemented all with Stripe Stripe is fantastic for many reasons but I had this situation where it's like there is a front end and this front end is have I been pwned and then there's a field here for credit cards and you click the submit button and it actually goes off to Stripe. They process it, send a token back, have I been pwned, takes the token, sends it for processing when you purchase the thing. But you had have I been pwned as sort of the coal face for Stripe. And then uh, I did a bunch of mucking around, just I guess trying to, trying to bring more functionality into have I been pwned uh, throughout this year? And again, this was kind of silent. Like I pushed it out, didn't talk a lot about it. I just want to make sure stuff was working. And one of the things I started thinking a lot about is deleting code. <laughs> like deleting code is awesome. And what I mean by that 
is Stripe has got a lot of stuff that you can do in the Stripe portal where you don't need to try and surface that information back via APIs, let's say into the into Have I Been Pwned as a consuming app. Up until yesterday, in Have I Been Pwned, you could change your credit card number and then like you'd actually get the credit card field and then it would do the dance with Stripe and send tokens and things. You could get a list of all of your previous receipts and invoices. Uh, you could do a bunch of stuff that relied on APIs to couple it all together. And over recent months, I've been thinking, looking more, and then eventually coding using the Stripe customer portal. Combination of the Stripe customer portal and the Stripe embeddable pricing table. <laughs> now, what this means is you can put a tag on your consuming application and it will take products from Stripe and it will put them in the consuming app. And then when you want to purchase them, you go off to Stripe well before you even enter a credit card. So literally on Have I Been Pwned now, if you go to the API key page, uh, the embeddable pricing table has the standard API key there and you click on it and you go off to Stripe and you enter all your credit card data into there. They do everything like any fraud detection stuff. If there's any challenges to enter your PIN, if there's any 3DS style payments, all of that now happens at Stripe where before it just didn't happen at all because I hadn't implemented to have a Vampone. Uh, and already I'm actually seeing transactions go through which were failing before, which is absolutely fantastic. And then you can go through and go to the Stripe customer portal after you've already got a key, and you can then have a look at your credit card number, and you can change that and put another one in there. You can cancel your subscription. You can get a list of all of your previous purchases. And all of that happens on the Stripe website. And I've not counted it up, but it is, it must be at least a thousand lines of code that I have deleted out of Have I Been Pwned, and now that's just over at Stripe. Very happy about that. Now, that is a precursor to other things I'm not going to talk about yet, but I will be doing over the coming weeks. So, slip that in silently. Seems to be working well. I did find one bug, one bug last night, uh, which fortunately only actually affected one person, and I seem to be on top of that now. All right, I have got a lot of breach stuff. Uh, I literally said here, uh, Aussie Breacher Palooza, which I think is fair. Now, I did more media stuff yesterday alone than what I think I have ever done in any one day before. It has been nuts, and it's mostly been nuts because of the Medibank situation, but that has been amplified by all these other data breaches. So I want to go through these and talk about what they are if you're not from this part of the world, you might not have heard of these or might not have heard of the companies, but there is some absolute zingers that have come out of this in terms of, let's be honest, just weird shit that's happened with these breaches. Now, the first one in the chronology of things is Optus. I spoke about Optus uh, at length in one of my previous weekly updates. Their data breach happened around about the time I went on my honeymoon. I spent a great deal of my honeymoon talking to journalists about that particular incident. So I won't recap it all now other than to say uh, potentially impacted about 11 million people, mostly Aussies, also Scott Helm because he bought an Optus SIM card when he came and visited for my wedding. Super, super stupidly simple attack by all accounts. It looks like we're thinking it's a kid. We as the industry commentators here, uh, let's say it's a kid. Kid found uh, an open API endpoint, you plug in a mobile phone number, you get back a bunch of PII, including for some people identity documents, identity numbers, such as driver's license numbers, passport numbers, and our Medicare number, our healthcare number. Uh, not so good because it's a mobile number as input, you can just enumerate and pull back more stuff. It, like the dumbest, stupidest thing. And then he's published it on a public hacking forum, published announcement of the breach, asked Optus for a million dollars, published 10,200 records for the world to see, uh, and then before you know it, has not put another post up there and said, um, uh, I'm really sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to publish the data anymore. Uh, I was listening to Patrick Gray talk about this on Risky Business Podcast the other day. Go and listen to that too, it's epic. And, and he said, look, the, the sort of conclusion he's drawing out of this is that uh, the AFP, our Australian Federal Police, uh, quite possibly worked out who this was, went and spoke to his parents uh, and said he needs to cut that shit out or he's going to be in big trouble. And that's kind of what it feels like. There was uh, our um, minister who covers cybersecurity <laughs> was asked the other day 
about uh, whether they'd identified the, the person. And she said, look, she's going to leave the AFP to, to comment on that. But the, the, the sense we're getting is that uh, I think the person has been identified. Now, if it is a minor, we probably or almost certainly won't hear what their name is. Don't know if we'll hear about there being an arrest or anything like that, but uh, when you rip off that much data and then you try to ransom the company, like something bad is going to happen to the guy one way or the other. Now, let's move on to some other stuff. So that is Optus. Vinomofo. Now, I thought I would be in the Vinomofo data breach, uh, and I haven't got an email. You know what? Let me check my... I have my old Hotmail address, which I basically never use. It just hides down here at the bottom of my Outlook. That was what I originally had my Vinamofo account under because it goes back that far. Do I have anything in that Hotmail address? I've still got the my deal. I'll talk about my deal in a moment. Uh, no, I do not. I do not think I do. Okay. All right, so I don't have a data breach disclosure from them, which I find kind of strange because I definitely had a Vinamofo account. In fact, I logged onto it the other day and I never got a disclosure notice. A bunch of other people did. Now, what is strange about Vinamofo? Well, let me just find my tweet history. Vinamofo. Uh, I was tweeting about this just today. So... Um, <laughs> And there's a statement from them. Actually, this wasn't from... Okay. All right. Multiple things. I tweeted this one three days ago. Now, this is a quote from their statement. It says, An unauthorized third party unlawfully accessed our database on a testing platform. You're going, okay, well, if it's a testing platform, what's the big deal? It's obviously not real data, Right. They go on, information about you that was contained in the database that may have been accessed may include name, gender, date of birth, address, email address, and phone number in the test environment. Now, I made that comment a few days ago. Someone replied to the disclosure message they got, asked them questions, and uh, and they replied. Uh, now, I'll just start reading this. Jeremy Quirk uh, tweeted this, and I've, I've shared it with the world. It says, uh, hi, thanks for getting in touch. Vinamofo is in the final stages of a significant upgrade to a digital platform. Given the scale of this upgrade and in line with industry practice, a customer database was used to critically test the platform. <laughs> this testing platform was not linked to the live Vinamofo website. Ah, jeez. So, yeah, they, they are allegedly in line with industry practice, which, as someone pointed out, is not entirely untrue because the industry does do this all the time. But uh, someone has obviously taken that production data, put in the test environment, and then the test environment is just not locked down properly. So here we are. So that's Vinomofo. Don't know why I'm not in there. Now, this data was put up for sale. It has allegedly been sold. I have not seen it yet i don't know if i will see it it's just one of these things we just have to wait and see what turns up uh now let me have a little look here um got no comments there's people there i wonder if did i turn off comments or did i mess it up because i started doing comments that's a bit weird i wonder <laughs> I have two YouTube accounts, uh, and here we go. I can watch live on my iPhone, so I can take my other account just here. Oh, look, people are commenting. Why can't I see that on my PC over here? That's weird. All right, so here's me in the past <laughs> on my phone. I can see comments, but for some reason, I cannot see the comments on the PC, but I can read the comments from the phone. Joel. Ouch, that's expensive. I think you're talking about the Rode device. Um, and yes, it could be. So yes, I, I am conscious of that. But expensive as a business purchase. Spot on. That's my thinking. Terre Flagon. Apologies if I mispronounced that. Good morning. Sound is good, at least without headphones. Okay. Fair enough. James, uh, g'day from rainy, wet weekend, Brisbane. Yeah, I know. I know. It's. Um, I saw something today which said they were... Th they 
we're thinking that we might get up to 400 mil of rain in the next 72 hours, which is a little bit nuts, um, especially when I'm going to be in the hot tub drinking beer very soon. It's not a great weather for that. G'day, Wayne. Wessel Hisnick, uh, good morning. Somewhere on the other side of the world, I imagine. Kensuke Takamura says, I can hear a very light noise in the background, but much better than last week. Okay, we've made progress. That's great. Uh, Brett, I do feel like there's a success story. The AF, uh, AFP and ACSC preventing a major impact. Uh, I assume that's the Optus thing. So, uh, yes, possibly. Nick 007's here. G'day. From London. <laughs> James Test. Okay, now the smiley faces are caught up. Gordon says, with the, Gordon's found some things before, haven't you, mate? With it being a test environment, full pen testing is likely not to have happened yet, making it the worst place to, cu- uh, to put customer data. Yeah. Uh, Kensuki says, uh, testing and production is always the best. I've had to explain to journalists in my many, many, many interviews the last few days w- why this happens. Uh, now, 14 years in Pfizer and other years, places before that. You would see this sort of thing a bit. And um, a couple of things sort of stick out here. So very often you would see developers say, I've got a bug in production. I don't know why I need the production data in the non-production system. Uh, And that way I can run the code that is running against the same data and then I can see the error and then I can fix it. So... That is usually the way we end up in this mess. <laughs> it's something like that. We can generate test data. I wrote a decade ago about using SQL uh, Data Generator to do exactly that. There are many different ways of doing it. Uh, lack of proper error handling, lack of reporting, uh, lack of uh, capturing of unex- unhandled exceptions and logging them. All this sort of stuff is what leads to the problem that we've got here today. Um there are lots of edge cases which often do only happen in production data. I saw Mika Hupnen tweeting just the other day about Dutch towns that begin with an apostrophe. <laughs> now, most developers would not be building a system expecting there to be an apostrophe at all in the name of, say, the town, let alone a leading apostrophe. Uh, but this is the sort of stuff that happens in real life, and sometimes that's not caught until you go into production. There is also the whole unintended consequences thing of trying to block things that you might think are bad. Uh, Go to Wikipedia, search for the Scunthorpe problem. I can't explain exactly what that is. (laughs) Here you'll understand why when you read about it. But assumptions that we make about data and structure uh, are often the root cause for why we end up with production data in non-production environments. All right, so that's Vindemofo. That is somewhat of a mess. Now... um, just incidentally, I'm going to look on the, the site that this regularly appears. Let's just have a uh, look. Was Vino Mofo on there? Someone did send me links to both of these. Uh, yeah, here we go, five days ago. <laughs> this, this just took me five seconds to find the ad for this data. 17 gigabytes, that's a lot. 700,000 users, 17 gig. That's kind of impressive. Uh, now, why is that site not loading? Give me cached version. Cached. Let's see. Whilst that is loading, Greg says, customers are not willing to pay for data to be de-identified for test use, so you end up using production data in test. Customers are not willing to pay for data. Why would customers pay for data to be de-identified, though? Anyway. Back on Venomofo. Uh, reading the uh, the data breach website forum here. What's in here? Email, encrypted password, good on. It's obviously a bcrypt hash work factor 10, not encrypted. Reset password token, sign-in count, current sign-in, last sign-in IP, that's PII. First name, last name, birth date. Because you need that, don't you? And don't say you need it because you've got to be an adult to buy alcohol. You know what you do? You go, are you an adult? Yes? Okay. Buy alcohol. But you could lie. Gender. Username. Oh, boy. Oh, shit. This goes on and on and on and on. Wow. Position. Corporate. 
legacy, tags. Wow, there's a lot of fields here. There must be. Holy cow. Must be 100 fields. Last phone order. Well, okay. That's that's a lot of data. Uh, okay. Ooh, the Telegram channel here as well. That's always interesting. I feel like I've gotten a little, just a little bit behind on... Um, on Vinomofo and my deal because of the Medibank stuff, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Okay, so I saw Greg Harris saying that uh, customers equals client who is paying for the development. You'd have to s sort of think, though, Greg, that you just don't even give that opportunity. <laughs> you know, so do you sort of go to the customer, the client, and say, look, uh, we're going to build this new system. Uh, we can we can test with... Uh, dummy data uh, and it's going to cost $10,000 or we can test with real life customer data and it will be easier so it's only $8,000 <laughs> you know <laughs> I know what you're saying but I think when you put it that way anyway so Vinomofo the other one is my deal now my deal I'm in I have the disclosure notice from Friday last week dear customer <laughs> we're writing to inform you of unauthorized activity in one of our systems uh, now let's see, where do they take it seriously? Somewhere down here. Uh, what do we do once again? Uh, oh, they didn't say seriously. Wow, kind of disappointed. Well, no passwords for access as part of the incident. It's a good idea to regularly update your passwords as an additional security measure. What, on every single site? Like all 1,000 of them that I have? Or you could just stop leaking it. Oh, that's, that's preferable. So my deal is a brand owned by Woolworth. Woolworth is uh, one of the massive shopping centre chains uh, or grocery chains here in Australia. So a lot of the media that we've seen has been around Woolworths and a subsidiary of Woolworths. There hasn't been a lot of focus on my deal. Uh, I'm curious to see. I think that might have been on the same forum as well. Let's see if we had that there. Uh, my deal. I'm pretty sure I saw that there, actually. Here we go. <laughs> it's like another... Burned another 20 seconds finding that one. Um, let me have a look here. Have a look at the cached version again. This particular site is not behaving real great at the moment. About 1 million entries, apparently. It's still parsing, so it will be higher than this. Uh, date of the breach was the 10th of October, so it's only 11 days ago. Uh, links through to a couple of Telegram channels. I did notice on one of those Telegram channels, uh, the seller said it's now been sold. That's it. They're only going to sell it once. And what's interesting here, I don't know if, how many other people picked up on this, but there's acknowledgements here on the ad for the data. And the acknowledgements link through to the Australian Financial Review, ABC, Nine News, The Guardian, The Daily Mail, .co.uk, the last one. So the perpetrator is leaning on media coverage as recognition of the incident and, and almost sort of reinforcement of the legitimacy of it which I do find a little bit, uh, is it a little bit perverse? I don't know. A little bit un unsettling. Now, I'm just going to have a look here about the tweets that I made on this. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, it's a blur already. This was only four days ago, and I was tweeting about being in that breach. But this was before Medibank completely messed up all my timing. Um, hmm. The details exposed include customer names, email addresses, phone numbers and delivery addresses as well as birth dates for people who had to verify their ages when buying alcohol, which is exactly the point I was just making. So now you've lost that bit of static knowledge-based authentication. Uh, that's not good. It's curious here, a few people have said, I've never had a MyDeal or Vinamofo account, yet both have sent me emails advising my account details could be exposed in data breach. I've never been on the Vinamofo site until today when I went looking to verify the breach after getting the mail. Problem is, strictly speaking, what Laura in this case is saying is I don't recall being on those sites. Uh, and, and I totally understand that. I don't recall being on a lot of the sites that I am in data breaches for. I don't know why I'm in house. I never had house, H-O-U-S-Z. <laughs> as far as I know, I never had it, but then I get the data breach. I load it. Have I been pwned sends me an email. It's the first I know of it. And then I go in and I look at the data and there's an IP address in London. And I go to my trip it and I was in London at the time. So 
I guess I did use it and I just didn't think about it. So anyway, Vinamo found my deal, generic run-of-the-mill garden variety data breaches. Uh, Optus was significant in that it was a, a, a really probably half the population of Australia are, who is eligible to actually have a phone plan, i.e. not children. Then we get to Medibank. Now, Medibank is the one that has just blown up in terms of media coverage. <clears throat> and that is the one that has blown up my week in terms of talking to media. Now, Medibank is a private health insurer here in Australia. They are the largest private health insurer. They allegedly have about 4 million customers. Now, in case you're in America and you're going, oh, 4 million isn't very many people, we have 25 million people in Australia. So imagine we've got some single-digit percentage of your population in the USA, and then suddenly 4 million is a lot because it's like having 40-plus million Americans in a data breach. So think about it like that. So it's, it's a very, very large number. Inevitably, a bunch of those cross over with the Optus ones. And, and to be clear, a bunch of Medibank customers are also Optus customers, so people are going, oh, great, twice. Now, of course, in the Optus case, we don't know what has been done with the data. Uh, hackers said that they've deleted it. I think they uh, they got sent to their room to think about what they'd done, and at that time they, <laughs> they went, okay, we're just going to delete it. We don't know what's happened with Medibank. So I've got a little bit of a bit of a rundown on Medibank here uh, in a tweet thread, so I might go through some of the key points here. Um, where do we begin with this? <laughs> just, just wondering, like, why is this tweet from June 12, 2018? I remember why now. I was actually going back through a talk. Uh, no, no, I was going through my book the other day. And I, I just, by coincidence, saw that I'd embedded a Medibank tweet in here. Now, the tweet that I embedded from Medibank in 2018, and this, of course, is tangential to the breach, but it's a funny point. Someone here was... Uh, was trying to paste their password into the password field. Now, possibly they just grabbed it out of their password manager, whatever it may be. Predictable response from Medibank. We ask for the password to be typed rather than pasted to make sure that it's entered correctly. I understand that pasting would be easier. We just want to make sure that additional characters slash spacing are not pasted too. And that's a bad look. That's a... <laughs> blocking password managers is a bad look. So, uh... So I tweeted that. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, now, where was I? I just found my thread. Uh -huh. Troy Hunt Medibank. Where'd it go? I'll just go back to my profile. I'll scroll back a bit while I find it. This has sort of become my index in life, my tweet history. Okay, thread on the Medibank saga. Now, Elevator pitch of what happened uh, really only about 48 hours ago. Medibank came out and said, uh, significant incident, there is a ransom, and they suspended trading on the stock exchange as well, public listed company. So yesterday or the day before? Anyway, recently, suspended trading. Yesterday they came out, and this was just over 24 hours ago, and said they've been given a sample of 100 records of data. Now, I'm going to use their words on this in just a moment, but what it boiled down to was uh, it's legitimate, there's personal identifiable information, there's also information about claims and medical conditions. So we're talking about sensitive personal information because it's health. Hackers also made some very bold claims about either pay the ransom or we're going to be dumping data related to prominent or at risk individuals. I'm going to use their wording again in just a moment. But here's my summary here. Uh, first of all, there is no evidence that this is a concerted attack against Aussie companies. And the journos have raised this. They've gone, oh, Optus and Vinamofo and MyDeal and Medibank. It's like, is Australia under attack? <laughs> Australia is always under attack. Uh, we've, we've just happened to have hackers get successful uh, several times within the same short period of time. The attack against Optus was such a, a trivial, trivial, trivial thing, very likely perpetrated by a child or a very young adult. Uh, Vinamofo, my deal, garden variety data breaches. It's going to be SQL injection somewhere or weak credentials or the usual sort of thing. Medibank, we know nothing about the vector used, nothing about who it's been attributed to. 
but I am taking an educated guess, and it's just an educated guess, not much more than that, that particularly the industry sector they work in, it was probably not anything near as trivial as Optus. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to how sophisticated it was. Anyway, thread goes on. Um, actually, that's pretty much what I just said. Oh, here's, here's an interesting element here. Targeting individuals with the threat of disclosing medical data is alarming, but not unprecedented. We saw this happen a couple of years ago with the Finnish psychotherapy service, Vastamo. So this was late 2019. Hackers got the data, ransom Vastamo. Vastamo told them where to stick it. Uh, so they went, okay, fine, we'll just go and ransom the individuals, which they did, and then eventually dumped all the data anyway. That's now in Have I Been Pwned. But it's like psychotherapy records, which is pretty crazy. I can't, I'm just going to read this as I wrote it. I can't give advice on how individuals can avoid being in a data breach like this. Not sign up for healthcare services? Not disclose sensitive medical information in case it gets hacked? No, that's no more feasible than people not sharing sensitive things with their Vastamo therapist. And this is what's really uncomfortable. When we get these questions about what can people do to avoid a breach like this, I don't have a good answer. No one has a good answer. Because imagine you go to Medibank and you say, I would like to take out some of your fine health insurance and they're like, okay, cool. Tell us about your medical history. And you're like, no, <laughs> I don't want to in case you leak it. And they'll be like, well, we can't offer you health insurance. Because that is a very, very valid question on their behalf. You know, we need to understand your history because that affects your premiums. Uh, it affects the products they offer them. Uh, there's all sorts of things depend on that. And ju in just the same way with Optus, if you went to Optus and tried to get a SIM and they said, okay, we need you to prove your identity, what's your driver's license details, and you went, I don't want to give that to you, they'll just go, well, you don't get a SIM. So in cases like these, you cannot minimise data in any practical way. Vinomofo, you probably can. You could put in a fake date of birth if you've got to be able to enter water booze or something like that. Uh, you can provide information that might be a post box instead of a, a home address if you really don't want to give that up. But for health insurance, you can't. It's all got to be legit. There is no advice I can give anyone to minimise, let alone completely evade the risk of a data breach of a health insurance provider. That's just, you can't. A radio host asked me if the Gov can fix this. How? Make hacking illegal? Penalise companies for breaches? There are definitely areas they can influence, better regulation and data retention and identity verification in the Optus case, but it doesn't fix the problem. And I started to sort of sound a bit like a broken record with journos, where it's like, a sufficiently motivated and well-resourced adversary is always going to find a way. Uh, and as much as I hate giving IRL examples, I'd, I'd sort of say, look, your house, can someone break in there? Yeah, it's possible. All right, well, why don't you make it more secure? Well, because it starts to get infeasible at some point in time. You know, we've done what we think is the right thing to do based on the threats that we're facing and based on what we know now. Now, is that the case with Medibank? We don't know because we don't know how they got in and we don't know if the measures that they took were reasonable based on what they knew at the time. Uh, were they reasonable at Optus? No, <laughs> they were a long way from reasonable. If anyone had a looked at that pre-breach and said, oh, you've got, a, you've got an unauthenticated API facing the public that takes a number and then it returns a whole bunch of PII and identity data. No, that's not cool. Like that's not pre-breach. That's not cool. So you see where I'm going with that. Uh, okay, now, the sample's here. So this is, uh, this is Medibank's disclosure. This is from yesterday, 20th October. Ah, da -da. We know that our customers, people in the community want to know what data has been stolen and how that might affect them. Here's what we can currently share. Medibank has been contacted by a criminal claiming to have stolen 200 gigabytes of data. Something I've noticed here that's interesting is the language Medibank's using. Now, I don't know if I can say who it is, but Medibank is getting support from a very reputable 
cybersecurity firm. So they're getting very, very good advice. And I think that's partly why I think their messaging is actually pretty good. But it's just curious to see some of the language used. They don't say hacker. Uh, they don't say attacker. They consistently say criminal. And it's, it's true. Uh, this would be a criminal charge. If the person got caught, they will go to jail if they get caught. If they're even in Australia and an adult. They're probably an adult, but who knows where they are. The criminal has provided a sample of records for 100 policies which we believe has come from our AHM, which I believe is the parent company of Medibank, and international student systems. The data includes first names and surnames, addresses, dates of birth, Medicare numbers, Medicare is our government health plan, policy numbers, phone numbers, and some claims data. Imagine what you'd have in claims data for a health insurance company. The claims data includes the location of where a customer received medical services and codes relating to their diagnosis and procedures. That bullet point is the absolute sting in the tail with this. Like that's the one that's upsetting everyone. The criminal, singular, claims to have stolen other information, including data related to credit card security, which has not yet been verified by our investigators. It's nasty. Like, it's super, super nasty. I do like the way they have phrased this. And again, they've had good help, uh, which, which makes all the difference. Optus, not so much, because their messaging was absolutely woeful. I like the way they've phrased it insofar as I feel like when I read this, I'm hearing pretty much as much as I know. Now, obviously, there's other stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know yet. It is an ongoing investigation. Uh, I'm sure that by now they've probably got a good idea of how this data was obtained, for example. We haven't seen that yet. Uh, what we're doing now, uh, good messaging just there. Um, I'm just going to actually see. No, they, they haven't named the cybersecurity firm. Uh, we understand that the uh, that this development will be upsetting. Single line paragraph. They've got contact details here where customers can call in, which is good. Our customers can speak to staff. Ongoing investigation. Medibank will not hesitate to take decisive action to safeguard our customers and our people. Our ongoing response to protect the networks and systems may cause necessary temporary disruptions to our services. That's reasonable. Now, there's a statement here from uh, their CEO, and this is what I really like, and this speaks volumes to uh, the post I wrote after the Australian Red Cross Blood Service data breach back in 2016, where they did a sensational job of the incident response in terms of the, the handling of it publicly. And part of the reason it was a sensational job is when someone sent me the Australian Red Cross Blood Service data, I went to AusCert. Uh, AusCert specialises in helping organisations deal with incidents like this. Now, uh, the Red Cross was already a customer of AusCert. AusCert mobilised people, went down to Melbourne, sat down with them, got all their stuff together. Within 72 hours of me disclosing it via AusCert, they had press releases and statements and really sincere messaging from their CEO. And that's what I'm seeing here. So the CEO says... I unreservedly apologise for this crime, is that word again, which has been perpetrated against our customers, our people and the broader community. I know that many will be disappointed with Medibank and I acknowledge that disappointment. This cybercrime, we're going to count the crimes in here in a moment, is now the subject of an investigation by the Australian Federal Police. We will learn from this incident and we will share our learnings with others. Medibank will remain open and transparent and will continue to provide comprehensive updates as often as we can and need to. A trading halt in Medibank shares will continue until further notice. Good messaging. I like it. Uh, obviously don't like the breach. Don't like all that medical data being around. How many crimes slash criminals are there in here? Six. Criminal claiming to have stolen. Criminal has provided. The criminal claims... Police criminal investigation. Okay, different use of the word. Apologising for the crime. This cybercrime. It's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, what else was in here? There was the bit earlier on, and oh, here we go. It's in the original story 
Ben Grubb that I quoted here. Now, this is 4.55 on October 19, so this is bang on 48 hours ago. So it's still fresh. This is a statement from the hacker, the criminal. <laughs> I'm trying to use Medibank's language here. We offer to start negotiations in another case. We will start realizing our ideas. Now, incidentally, this, I'm reading it as it's written. Uh, at least the way it's represented, English is not native. Now, who knows if it's intentional or not. We will start realizing our ideas like, one, selling your database to third parties. Two, but before we do this, we'll take 1,000 most media persons from your database. Criteria is most followers, politicians, actors, bloggers, LGBT activists, drug addictive people, etc. Also, we found people with very interesting diagnosis and we'll email them their information. I'm going to look at the comments tonight because I've seen a few things come through, but last thing on this, one of the things I find very interesting is the power imbalance where you've got, on the one hand, a multi-billion dollar health insurer publicly listed for all intents and purposes, all the money under the sun, and then you've got old mate hacker, uh, not as well resourced, we don't know who it is or how sophisticated they are, but they're able to really, really hold a gun to Medibank's head here. Now, Medibank's never going to pay. There's no ransom paid here. This is such a big news story already. There will be no ransom paid. Uh, so now we're sort of looking at it going, well, what happens next? Uh, does this person follow through on their threats and dump data? They've obviously proven already to Medibank that they have data. Where do they go from here? So short of the AFP actually being able to track them down, which... It, it might happen, but it just feels a lot less likely than the Optus case. Either this individual's got to acquiesce and, and give up uh, or start dumping data because they're not getting their money. We know that much. Okay. Look at the comments <laughs> on my phone. Feels like Medibank PR response learned a bit from Optus. So, yeah, that was one of the first things I thought. I do wonder how different it may have been if in isolation, but so far good for them on the comms. Orgs seem to uh, go a bit quiet once AFP involved, understandably so. Uh, look, I mean, the, the AFP in many ways sits up there with the likes of the NCA in the UK and the FBI in the US who have been all very effective at taking down uh, a lot of these criminal networks and, and tracking down the perpetrators. So, uh, yeah, if... If I was one of these people and there's headline news about the AFPs after me, I would be somewhat concerned. Scott Hamilton said, did I hear that Medibank might have been through a subcontracting service? Uh, I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> I have not heard that. But I might have missed that too. I'm sure I've missed things. Null Division says, but maybe they should delete the data after they used it. Yeah, and th this, th this raises many very good questions about data retention. Now, I would imagine it would be very hard for a, a health insurance company to delete data around things like pre-existing conditions because that is of ongoing relevance. That will affect premiums in the future. Uh, that would also be relevant if there were things that people didn't disclose and then they made claims later on. Uh, we all know insurance companies love to try and weasel their way out of claims. So, I think it would be very hard for them to delete data like that, uh, at least whilst someone still remains a customer. I think YouTube chat is shadow blocking my comment here. This is crooked. Well, I can read it. <laughs> so I'll rephrase it. It's interesting what appears when you search Medibank domain admin using the product made by Alphabet. Okay, someone else can give that a go. Null Division says, we've got your health data, calculate your insurance, give us the same score, save the score, ditch the sensitive data. Yeah, I think we sort of covered that. I just think that the nature of health insurers means they're going to need to keep that. James says, we also have a star rating for cyber health of companies, aka an easy to consume info for people to make informed decisions on if to use them or not. I heard something the other day about was it the US passing some legislation to give star rating to IoT devices around security posture? And it was apparently going to be stuff like, um, does it 
auto-update? Can it be self-healing, self-repairing? Uh, I'm sure there are many other criteria we could use as well. I guess we've just got to be a little bit cautious. Does it end up being like the some of the health ratings we have on products here where you can either buy your way into it or game the system or, you know, the, the fat's low but it's loaded with sugar? I'm just not sure we can reliably do that. And if we are talking about a health insurer as well, like do we have to factor that in as well? Plus, it's a point in time. I guess one thing with, with health ratings on a product is the same product keeps getting made with the same ingredients. If the ingredients change, then obviously the health rating could change. But the security posture of an organization is a perpetually fluid thing. I think it would be very hard to do that. Uh, Crooked says probably Mandiant in terms of the company helping with them. Uh, I'm not saying because I don't know if I'm meant to. Richard said AHM is their cheaper insurance brand. I really should know what I'm talking about, shouldn't I? Let's Google it. AHM Medibank. Uh, cheap <laughs> private health insurance. AHM health insurance. Uh, still in a data breach. Anyway. Greg says they became AHM uh, late 1990s, about 10 years ago, purchased by Medibank. Okay. Null Division says at least encrypt sensitive data at rest. Someone else flagged this online and I said, look, the, the, problem, <laughs> the problem with encryption is decryption. And I, I say that a little bit trivially. Obviously, encryption done right. We have private keys. Uh, whilst private keys are protected, uh, we are good. Part of the problem is key management is hard. It, it's much better in a modern cloud era where we've got things like hardware security modules in the cloud as opposed to spending gazillions of dollars to put physical devices in in data centers which of course a publicly listed health insurance company could do but also the, the sort of data we're talking about storing at rest has to be visible at some point so there will be interfaces let's say used by support staff where it is decrypted because they need to be able to see that and then the risk we have is, okay, well, what if there's an attack against that? What if screen content is scraped, uh, machines are compromised, there's still lots of other places that can be obtained. Uh, it's really, really, really rare to see data encrypted at rest. I'm honestly struggling to think of a data breach that I've seen that does that. What if I go to, there's this website, haveibeenpwned.com. And who's been pwned? And if I search for encrypt, I've <laughs> 600 something data breaches. I've used the word encrypt eight times, uh, twice on the Adobe data breach because they did actually encrypt passwords. It wasn't hashed. Uh, Bell, unencrypted passwords. Dave, what's Dave? Digital banking app. That had encrypted social security numbers. Okay, that's something. GateHub. Encrypted master keys, encrypted recovery keys. Okay, that's something. And then the only other example here is uh, League of Legends. Personal data attributes included, air quotes, encrypted passwords, which means they weren't encrypted. <laughs> they were hashes. Okay, let me talk about the last one. And are we going to do this live? Because I have really not seen much about this. And I had some questions on Twitter, and then I had someone get quite... I would class as irate with me on Twitter. And it's Microsoft. So the reason they got irate is they said, hey, Troy, you're not talking about the Microsoft data breach. Is that because you're an employee of Microsoft and you're not allowed to or something to that effect? And then I was like, I'm not an employee. It's like literally the first part of my about page. explains I'm not an employee. I just haven't had time because of all the stuff I've just been talking about. And they weren't completely happy with that. They said, well, you're representative of Microsoft. It's like, no, I'm not a representative of Microsoft, and I'm still really, really busy. Now, what I wanted to do here, because I've honestly not had time to read this properly, but I did see what looks to be a very good thread from Kevin Bowman, Gozzy the Dog, and I thought we'd go through this together because I started looking at it, and then I was like, we should just do this live, the Savo, and there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I think his, his summary here is really, really good. Now, number two is that I immediately picked up on something else that I didn't tweet because of my Microsoft affiliation, and I thought people will pick that up and they'll take it the wrong way. But I'm going to explain it to you. So, Gozzy the dog, here uh, we're looking at, uh, this was, let's say, 36 hours ago. 
Microsoft had some sort of data breach due to a misconfigured system which had cust uh, exposed customer data. As best I can tell, there's uh, database backup data sitting in an Azure storage account which was publicly facing. Now, we're going to talk about SockRadar in a moment. Excuse me, because there's a company called SockRadar. They appear to have found it. And we're going to talk about their messaging in a moment. But Gossie goes through, Gossie Kevin goes through, he says, there's a search engine stood up on this SockRadar service. Really, a search engine for data breaches. Microsoft will be furious about this one, uh, as it will lead to a ton of customer concern, i.e. orgs will find themselves in the data. It will be interesting to see if they try to lawyer SockRadar. Now, again, just <laughs> full transparency, I'm a Microsoft regional director. Uh, I don't work for them. I don't have a region. I don't direct anything. I don't speak on their behalf. Uh, my views are my own. One of the nice things about the regional director program and the MVP program is that they are entirely independent. And I'm sure that if I was being outright derogatory on a regular basis towards Microsoft, my participation of those programs may not continue. <laughs> but, but I have independence around them and I'm going to call it as I see it. So I'm literally reading through Kevin's statements here. MSRC, which is Microsoft Security Research, uh, statement here has no idea how cybersecurity works in real world. I mean, a sock. Uh, I think you have to sort of read this one in context. Here's one of the customer notifications from MS. We are unable to provide the specific affected data from this issue. Uh, so this, the strong sense I'm getting here is backed up data, unintentionally exposed. Um, Kevin says here, 20 hours ago, initial view ever-changing. Microsoft Data Breach is real, contains people's names, signatures, etc. Data from 2014 onwards includes old internal MS emails, etc. Focus around a team using a calendar called GetBiff. Talks about risks customers pose, etc. Uh, okay. All right. My initial gut feel, first of all, and I got this question today from a journal. They're like, it's, it's not a good look, is it, when a company has a data breach? But no, like it's, it's never a good look. And it's particularly not a good look when it's health data or you're a technology company. Uh, uh. Okay, so it's not a good look, uh, but, but my initial read on it is that it's also not particularly serious in the scheme of things. Uh, it's not health data. It's not millions of customers. It appears to be, we keep hearing this number here, about 65,000 something uh, in terms of the other companies that are impacted by this. So I don't think it's, it, it just doesn't feel, and this is not me being Microsoft bias, but it just doesn't feel particularly sensational. Which leads me to the next bit, and this is where I think it's getting kind of interesting. SockRadar. <laughs> They've published this uh, this post a couple of days ago. Not sure what time zone. It says October 19, so it could have been yesterday. Title is Sensitive Data of 65,000 plus entities in 111 countries leaked due to single misconfigured data bucket. Now, this is kind of factually right. Uh, it, it, it is a good headline 65,000 plus 111 countries. I'm just going to sort of start to go through this and I'll explain where it just doesn't feel quite right. Uh, SockRadar has detected that sensitive data 65,000 has become public because of a misconfigured server. The leak includes proof of execution and statement of work documents, user information, product offers, PII, data, documents, etc., etc. SockRadar's built-in cloud security module monitors public buckets to detect it. So, like, this is literally the third sentence, the second paragraph, and they're starting to talk about their product and the role their product plays in this. Among many discovered public buckets, six large ones contain information for more than 150,000 companies in 123 countries. The leaks are collectively dubbed Blue Bleed by SockRadar to better track the intelligence around it. So we got a name. Not only do we have a name, but in the most like heart bleed reminiscent way, and I'm sure it's not a coincidence that we've got bleed in there, there is a logo and there is an infographic. And I just, 
I started reading this and I, the sense I got is the marketing people must be very happy. I wonder if it's certain Iranian. It just feels like a sales pitch. And, and, and I don't know anyone at Socrator. I, I don't think I even heard of the name before. I couldn't remember the name. I don't know them from Bar of Soap. Blue Bleed, cool logo. And then we sort of start to go through more of the detail. And I was literally just flicking through this when I walked out this morning. And I thought I'd pick it up again now. Uh, and then you have all of these quotes. Blue bleed leaks include critical data such as project details, signed customer documents, customer emails, exposed data if passed properly, enable threat actors to create elaborate attacks against the companies at risk of blue bleed. Even though most of the data consists of raw files of databases, the threat actors certainly have enough resources to parse and process the data. And I think what's sort of a little bit odd about this is that it it it's more like a press release than anything, and they're quoting their own people in it. And then it's bold to the level to level the playing field. Companies need consolidated cybersecurity solutions, such as Socrator. It's coincidental, isn't it? That combine attack surface management, digital risk prevention services, and cyber threat intelligence. This is from the CEO. And you, you see how their write-up continually blends in the pitch for their product. What is Blue Bleed? The term Blue Bleed was coined by. Ken Uleri, I suspect Israeli company, given these names, uh, threat and vulnerability researcher at, you never believe where this guy's from, Socrator. <laughs> and then there's all these other embedded quotes. So the same person here, Blue Bleed is one of the largest B2B leaks in recent years. So an interesting caveat, isn't it? B2B leaks. I guess business data owned by, uh, okay. How did Socradar discover Bluebleed? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Socradar, an extended threat intelligence platform, continuously monitors the surface web, deep web, and darknet for vulnerabilities and data leaks. Bluebleed part one. And then it goes on and on. And there's just a lot more quotes from people. Yeah. This is more a sales pitch than a data breach write-up. That's my feeling about it. Uh, now, obviously, I work with a lot of companies similar to this as well, and I've I'll be honest, like I give them pretty candid feedback if I see this sort of messaging because this feels pitchy. And it, it, it's a shame because obviously what's happened is a major cock-up and it deserves press and it deserves to be dealt with and lessons learned. But I, I'm just so distracted by the, the blue bleed name and the logo and all the, uh, all the comments and statements from the internal folks. Anyway, let me see what the comments are here. What do other people say? Uh, Australia Strong says, there was a bonus, that was a bonus thousands of years ago. No one could hack your stone tablet from the other side of the world. That's, yeah, well, if you lived long enough to, to have your stone tablet hacked, uh, that was also a problem then. Whistle Hissing says, the bad stuff is that the message was only available global admins, free, hidden away, admin portal, show more, health message center. I think this is referring to the Microsoft incident now, and I have seen some commentaries basically being critical of the way they have done their uh, disclosure. Uh, C. Morgan, always feel a bit cynical when a breach comes with a name and a marketing logo campaign. So if, if you remember, there are a whole slew of not breaches, but vulnerabilities that had this. Uh, Heartbleed was one. Uh, Bugbash, not Bugbash. Jeez. Um, oh, uh, what was the one? I literally did a Pluralsight course on it. It had a bug. Shell shock. Uh, Shell Shock was another one, and it had a logo. And it, like as an industry, we we're just starting to go. When someone's disclosing a bug, and they've already got a cool name, and they've already got a logo, and there's PR commentary and marketing, so it just it feels icky. That's that's my summary of it. The way Sock Radar has represented this feels icky. Okay, so there's me actually giving you candid commentary on the whole thing. Uh, and I, it is, I feel like I spent more time talking about Socrator than what I did about Microsoft. It's not to try and redirect the attention from Microsoft because obviously something has gone wrong, but I just don't feel comfortable with, with the pitchiness. Uh, and if someone comes out tomorrow and does the same thing against a company that I don't particularly like, I'll have exactly the same feedback. 
Okay, so we got that. That is everything this week. That has been a heap of content. Uh, I'm going to come back to you next week, probably in the morning next week, earlier on in the day, and, and talk about all the crazy stuff that's going to happen between now and then. Maybe we'll have more Aussie data breaches to talk about. I don't know. Uh, either way, there will be more incidents of some kind, uh, and I, I do actually need to carve out some time to start putting more stuff in the Have I Been Pwned because I've got a big backlog. One in particular, it's not particularly large, but it's a real zinger in terms of the content. We want me to talk about that next week. Cheers, folks. Have an awesome weekend.